Episode 91 of the Equalizer podcast as we creep ever closer to the 2020 NWSL draft. And finally, this week, some movement around the league. Not only some movement, but some big movement around the league. My name's Dan Lawletta. Chelsea Bush and John Halloran are here to recap everything that happened during the week that was in the NWSL and around women's soccer. And Chelsea, John, all kinds of moves this week. We started with a very early Monday uh, the the formal announcement that Laura Harvey had stepped down in Utah, and then the trades just started rolling in. I feel like the big trade is hard to analyze because I do feel like the big one is Portland moving into that number one overall pick and Orlando getting some couple of players and also some lower picks. Um, what do you guys think, Chelsea? What uh, what what jumps out at you from a very busy week in women's soccer? Um, I think starting with the Portland trade, I think we need to start looking at if and wondering if we're going to see a trend where teams that are desperate for uh, p- immediate pieces are trading away that pick. That's the second year in a row where a team that was in the playoffs the previous season has now gotten the number one draft pick, right? Chicago last year. And and obviously that's that's some some candy moves on their part. But I think it's it's an interesting trend that we're going to see because teams like Orlando is as much as as valuable as a number one draft pick is um, they, they need more pieces than just that. And and that's what they got. And I'm also very, very curious to see if they end up getting Caitlin Ford, because I think that right now it's just the rights. There's some, some word about her maybe going to Arsenal. If they can, can manage to get her too. I think that make that makes that trade that much better for them. I feel like the Australian players tend to want to play more on the West Coast because it's such a long trip back to Australia, right? Wasn't that the deal with Stephanie Catley when she was in Orlando that she just didn't want to be that far away from Australia to get back and forth all the time? So I don't know if Ford's going to be there or not. But I do think, and I was talking to someone about the Houston Dash this week, someone that wasn't particularly thrilled with some of the moves that the Dash made. Is the draft the mechanism to build your team because I feel like Orlando has constantly since they came I mean, they came in the league right away. They had the first overall pick and they traded it. And I don't feel like they ever recovered from that trade. Now there were many other elements of it, but should teams just be saying, all right, we're going to draft at the top of the draft and we can get enough good players to, to make us. Cause I'm not sure that I like Orlando's return on this deal, especially if Ford doesn't play there. Well, it worked for North Carolina, or Western New York, which then became North Carolina. I mean, the majority yeah. of their big pieces were drafted. It just took some time to get returns on that. But they and invested the, early and kept them. Maybe the spirit, too. Yeah, could be. John, what stood out to you this week? Well, can I actually ask you guys a question? Because both of you guys seem to have the same thought on that. And I thought that Orlando getting three pieces, at least assuming that they make decent picks with 7 and 14, got the better of that deal. I think a lot of it depends on Sonnet, though. I didn't think Emily Sonnet was very good last season, to no, be honest. She, if they can turn her around, then maybe. I mean, she was coming off probably her worst pro season ever, and she's she struggled with consistency from the beginning. But I can't think that she doesn't immediately upgrade their back line, even right. and, at and her worst. Cl- right, and with a seven pick, they should be able to get somebody who can come in and help. Um, and I, 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 listen, I agree. Like, I didn't think Sonnet was, was very strong last year. I was a little surprised that, that she even went to the world cup. And I think if you talked to people in Portland, you know, if they were speaking candidly, 
Um, they weren't super impressed with her season last year either, but still, like we know where her top end is. She can be a top back in this league. She's even got some versatility in that she can play, you know, centrally or wide. She might even be able to play the number six position, as I know some people have mentioned. And then again, with the seven pick, you pick up somebody who can come in and help you right away. You got a two for one deal for again, listen, it Maybe maybe Portland picks Sophia Smith and maybe she's a superstar of the next generation. But we've seen flameouts at the top of the draft, too. And they got at least one piece that they know can contribute. And with a seven, they should be able to still get a very, very quality player. And then you get the 14 as the cherry on top. No, I don't I don't think this is a bad trade for for Orlando at all. I just said I think that Ford actually showing up would make it that much better. Yeah. That's fair. I think the fact that they listed it as the rights was a pretty, I don't know, seemed a pretty clear indication that she, well, you, she's not coming. Well, usually, if I feel like if a player doesn't sign pretty much right away, that there's a that yeah there's a lot less of a chance it's going to happen down the road. In that particular case, I, maybe I don't have enough faith in Orlando drafting a good player at seven and fourteen. Well, and that's a fair question because we don't know what Skinner is capable of in a draft yet. Actually, I mean, I'm not even sure we know what he's capable of as a coach yet. But I would agree, 100% agree with that. And he's, and it's obviously, you know, it's, I mean, he's even said it. It's a make-or-break season for him because they were not very good last season, and they were terrible in the back. I mean, their their season fell apart because they gave up just some awful, awful goals. Yeah. And I would guess that they are hedging on the fact that Sonnet won't make the Olympic team, even though as of at the moment she's still in the mix. But I think they probably are – I mean, I don't think you ever hope that your player doesn't make a major tournament roster, but I think they might have done it strategically, thinking she'll be there the whole season. Yeah, and I think that's a, probably a fair call. She she didn't play much at the World Cup. She wasn't in great form last year, as we've talked about, and, and obviously that roster has to be trimmed. I think she would be one of the, the first defenders cut. Now, the other trade I think that really made some headlines was the Haley Mace rights to North Carolina for McCall Zerboni. I think Zerboni being traded was telegraphed for quite a long time. Um, this is one of those deals that if you just look at it, it reminds me of the Crystal Dunn trade because clearly the Courage won that trade from the Spirit. But if you look at it in the fact that the Spirit had Dunn's rights, she wasn't going to play there, so they got the best they could for her. Not a bad deal. I think, you know, you, if you take this on the global scale, yeah, Sky Blue screwed up because they knew. Mace told them. Mace's agent told them. We're not coming. They drafted her anyway. That's a bad job. You know, you wouldn't want you wouldn't have taken McCall's or Boney last year with the number two overall pick. But this year, entering 2020, having the rights to a quality player, knowing she's not coming, and the rights were going to expire, I believe, first day of preseason. I think they did pretty well. And I think Zerboni can really help Sky Blue. And who knows what happens with Mace. But, I mean, it's, you know, again, Dunn goes to play for Paul Riley. And she turns into, in some sense, one of the best players in the world. And I think Mace probably landed in as good a spot as she could possibly be. Yeah, how is that not a win for Sky Blue? I'm, I'm baffled that anyone wouldn't think. They, they turned nothing into something. Well, it's a lot of win for them. If you go back to last year is all I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. But at this moment in time, again, they're right. Yes, I mean, I agree. They got totally. something out of it. Yes, completely agree. 
what what does North Carolina do when when Mewis is at the Olympics in terms of, of playing the number six if you don't have Zerboni there to help out in that in that time period? Well, I mean, it's certainly um, I mean, for, I always say, you know, let's not judge the moves until the full roster is in place. So there's that. But uh, it's a good point, And they're going to struggle. But every team who's got quality players struggles during the Olympics. Like, I don't think it's worth it to keep her around. Yeah. Just for that. Well, and, and he, yeah, and that's a fair point. And, and, and Mace at her top end could be an amazing player. So I guess we do kind of have to wait and see how that sorts out. But and and if she plays outside back, I think that helps with O'Reilly retiring and Matthias, you know, probably still in the recovery stages. Um, personally, I like I've liked her better as a forward, which North Carolina definitely doesn't need any more help there. Mace. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not familiar enough with uh, with her up there, but she, I mean, she, she can basically kind of play anywhere, to be honest. She's, she's a very, very versatile player. But also, I don't think don't discount that. Paul Riley's had some success with playing Denise O'Sullivan a lot deeper than what we would typically think of her as. So I think that's that's an underrated option for playing deeper in the midfield. And look, he's he's creative. Carrie Rocaro could get in there a little bit. Um, you know, Kaylee Kurtz, although I would imagine she'd be in the back at that point. Let me tell you a team that I'm a little baffled by what they're doing so far. And a little bit under the radar, too. That's Utah. So far, they've traded Doniak and Stengel, which totally fine with that. They're a little, they're kind of deep up top, but this is a team that's got to win. You know, when Harvey was there, and I assume Harvey at least made the Doniak trade, it was like a hey, we've got to win right now sort of deal for the Royals. Like Laura Harvey's coaching reputation, in my opinion, was and even is on the line. What are they doing trading Doniak and Stengel for 2021 draft assets? And the only thing they got is to move up from the third round to the second round for with one of the Houston picks. I'm not, again, who knows what's going on in the background. Maybe they're going to spend a ton of allocation money and bring in somebody great, but I'm not sure they're getting what they need to compete and win in 2020 for these moves. And those are assets they could get something for. And unlike Kalia Ojai, I haven't heard that either of those players specifically requested those trades. And don't no, forget Timrak Tim retired too. Yeah. Yep. So they lost another player there. Yeah, I don't think they're, you know, quite as deep up top as maybe they they once were because look at the players they're they're losing and they, you have to think Kristen Press will be at the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not um what I guess you're both in agreement with me on it. Well, they're definitely losing players and you got to you know, why are you trading for the future as you mentioned because I do think that this is kind of one of those seasons where they got to take a shot at getting back or I shouldn't say getting back because it's not, you know, I guess if you count the FCKC, but getting into the playoffs. And they haven't yet traded Abby Smith. I don't know that there's a market for Abby Smith. I, I feel well, like Abby Smith is like the poster child for like no expansion. And then you put up a picture of like sad Abby Smith. Like I, I thought I might have a job <laughs> and I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think if there's an expansion team, she's got to be one of the first first picks. Um, and she, she's a starting caliber player. But like, where who's she going to start over in this league? No, that's right the thing. That's the thing. But, I mean, maybe could she find her way to a place where the keeper's going to be gone for the Olympics, maybe? Maybe, but like, I think most of them have decent backups. And I also she, think that 
if if I'm coaching Utah, I look at Nicole Barnhart's history and I'm like, hey, she's been held together with glue for like 10 years now. It's good at glue, some though. Point, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But at some point, you have to you have to be have faith in your backup when you when your number one keeper is that fragile. I, you know, I still can't get over the fact that they didn't give Abby Smith the last game of the season last year. For what like, reason? Just to, just, just so she gets a game? Yeah, she hadn't played the whole season. They were eliminated from contention. I mean, it maybe might have she been worth train. doing simply to show other teams or remind other teams, hey, we've got this asset, if, yeah. you know, if you were really thinking. But I, I like Chelsea's point, too, that like you have to trust your backup here. And if Barnhart does go down, which is a, a distinct possibility, I think, that you need somebody there that you trust. I'll tell you what, though, whatever glue she's been held together with, I would market that hardcore because yeah. we've heard – We've heard the retirement rumors about her for what six years, and she just keeps coming back. I was gonna say we all we all need to make sure we're no offense to Nicole Barnhart here because she's an excellent keeper and whatever she's doing is working. Yeah, because she was also no worse than the what second or third best keeper in the league last yeah, season. Pretty consistently, I think. Yeah, she had a great season. Absolutely. All right, um, we still haven't mentioned the uh, Kalia Ojai to Chicago trade, so we will step aside. We'll come back. We got that. We've got uh, some coaching hires. We'll update you on the draft order and see what else is going on around the wonderful world of women's soccer with Chelsea and John. This is Dan on episode 91 of the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everyone. Jeff Kasuf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on Podcast Row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Episode 91, segment two of the Equalizer podcast. Dan Lawletta here with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. The better ratings and reviews you give us, the more great content we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast and check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com. And for Equalizer Extra, check out EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. Lots of great content this past week. And also heading into the NWSL draft, which, by the way, is Thursday morning. It'll be streaming live on YouTube and Facebook. And I can't even tell you how many different uh, Twitter accounts will be live tweeting the picks. So that is Thursday morning. It's in Baltimore. If you're in the area, by the way, open to the public. You do not need to pay your way into the coaches convention. You can just walk in. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the building and the number in front of me right now, but you can get that on the league site. But it's a highly recommended hour or two. The first uh, two rounds of the um, NWSL draft. Um, I'm with Chelsea and John, and uh, John reminded me on the break that Sky Blue also made a trade acquiring Midge Purse in exchange for Raquel Rodriguez. A lot of mixed opinions about this trade. I think it's a pretty good move for Sky Blue. 
and I think it could be a great move for the Thorns, but um, I think right now Purse is the better player than Rodriguez. What do you guys think? Um, I don't know if I would I would agree that she's the better player. I think we haven't seen Rodriguez at her best, so maybe that's where you're coming from. I, I think it's it. I think there's upside for both sides, though. Um, I think Rod, I said this on Twitter. I think Rodriguez could thrive in Portland. We haven't seen her best for a while in Sky Blue. I, I think that we weren't going to. I think that that Persh brings a lot of speed and and a goal scoring to Sky Blue. So kind of a one of those rare trades that that win for both sides, in my opinion. I thought it was definitely a win for um, Sky Blue, just because. And I, and I agree with what Chelsea said that. Uh, I don't think we've seen Rodriguez at her top level. And from what I understand, I'm not sure she was a hundred percent keen on playing for sky blue even last season, but um, purse is kind of a known quantity. You know, we, we have an idea of what she can do as a forward in the league. We have an idea of, of what she can do as a right back. So there's some versatility in there as well. Um, she's at least a fringe national team player. Um so I saw that as a win. And I think on an individual level, too, for at least Rodriguez, that's a win, too, because I think she gets into a different environment and uh, and she might be able to thrive, as you guys said. I think if you look at Sky Blue's roster, I think Sky Blue's roster is still not um, ready to like I don't think it's an 11 player starting ro- starting formation ready roster yet. But if you've got. Zerboni and Killian now, and I've never been a huge Sarah Killian fan, but I think if you put her and Killian in a similar role, maybe as dual pivots, and then if you've got uh, speed on the outside of Purse and Imani Dorsey, that's difficult to stop. You need players in the middle that can finish and they need a back line, but that's a really interesting, you know, if they can actually harness that a little bit, which they really didn't do under Denise Reddy, but if they can harness that, Maybe there's something there. Maybe there'll at least be some excitement at Red Bull Arena for a team that has won, what, five or six games in two seasons? And I think Lloyd could be could be keyed up for a good season, too. Well, I certainly think if you get that speed on both flanks that she should, I mean, she should benefit from that. It, you know, I, I think the question will be how often do those, are those national team players in there? Yeah. And who well, scores when she's not there? Yeah. And you know, one thing we haven't mentioned, and I, I, I know I'm the one who brought up the national team break first, but the Olympics are much later in the year than the World Cup was. So I think we'll see we'll see teams kind of get into a steady rhythm before the players leave, whereas unlike last year, I think they were only there for four games. Yeah, that's fair. We also got a little uh, Twitter mention from our pal Meg Linehan that uh, who reported that the we should expect the championship to be in November. So what I'm guessing that's an uh, an attempt to a capitalize on anything that happens at the Olympics and maybe uh, take away some of Chelsea's favorite uh, Wednesday night games and stretch the schedule out a little bit. Cause I think, <laughs> I think it's going to start at the same time in April. Yes. So give us all snowball. I'm here for it. Oh, please don't put the game in Chicago or Utah. Oh gosh. Can you imagine? Or even, or even New York November could get, ugly well they've done what um it's funny too because last year in north carolina like i ran out of short sleeve shirts because it was like 80 degrees yeah. on game day. it was crazy yeah. but i mean they've had mls cups in utah and toronto in december right right so and even that one i think a few years ago in kansas city they had it yeah that's what i meant snow yeah, and 20 degrees 
Yeah, yeah. they played Utah. Yeah. Yeah, and Ramondo said his goal box was like literally like an ice skating rink. Yeah. Anyway, um, another uh, interesting trade. The one that actually kicked things off is Kalia Ojai to Chicago and Katie Naughton and a pick heading back to Houston. And a lot of interesting elements of this trade, too, starting with the fact that Kalia Ojai had gone to the dash and asked to be moved. Um, I think it was pretty obvious that Naughton needed to go somewhere else, even though the Red Stars maybe are going to still need somebody for the time when their defenders are at the Olympics, especially if Casey Short is also on the Olympic roster. Um, but again, I think, you know, I think Ojai can really thrive in Chicago with some different scenery. And uh, I'm not totally sold on Naughton in Houston, but I think it could turn out okay for them. Oh, I, th- I think this is a win for Houston. Really? Uh, yeah, because listen, Ojai has not been the same since her ACL tear. And I think that partly that is, is the tear, I think, s- took some of that turn and burn away from her game. And also just think that the game has kind of surpassed her a little bit. And I think she was in a comfort zone. She That's the only place she's ever played professionally. And she wasn't really contributing in, in the sense that I think they needed her to. They've got, especially if you think about you know, Latsko and, and Kayla McCoy coming back from injury, they should have pieces up enough pieces up top. They desperately needed help in the back. You know, they're like Orlando. They were they're bleeding goals. They've done that for their entire time in, in, in existence. Um, it doesn't sound like you know, Claire Pokinghorn wasn't the answer. It doesn't sound like she'll be there anyway. And I think Katie Naughton is, is a starting caliber player at most teams in this league. If it wasn't for the fact that there are two center backs who happen to be World Cup winners in front of her. Um, I saw some people you know, on Twitter kind of commenting about it, like she wasn't even starting. And I'm like, that's, I feel like that's a very short-sighted viewpoint because she, she's been a rock for Chicago for a long time. So I, I think it's an upgrade for Houston. And I am, I think Ohio could thrive in Chicago, but again, I kind of think that the game has just passed her by. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. And if Chicago still, you know, looking to replace all the girls that Sam, all the goals that Sam Kerr scored. I don't think they've done that yet. I definitely think there's a lot up in the air. You know, we, we, I don't know if we're really going to know until maybe August who won this trade because, you know, Ohio only had two goals last year. Um, and Chicago needs goals. Obviously Kerr leaving with 18 goals is a lot and they need somebody to, to pick that up. I do think it's interesting that they brought, her in where she can play in a more natural wide position, because I don't think Chicago's had um, a player like that, at least an attacking player like that since, since where to left. Um, and Naughton is a starting caliber center back. She did lose her spot, but who'd she lose it to? She lost it to Ertz and Davidson who were two of the best center backs in the world. Um, and that was at the end of the season. So, you know, I think that uh, she can certainly help Houston defensively Um the one thing I wonder on Chicago's end is without Naughton there, you know, when Davidson and Ertz are gone for the Olympics, you know, they do have options, but Brooke Elby retired and Aaron Wright is pregnant. And so they don't have that defensive depth that they had. And now they just traded away a third player. So um, defensively, I think there's a question mark about whether a player like, um, you know, Kayla Sharples or Hannah Davison can step up. And uh, for Houston, you know, you wonder if just in terms of how it's perceived, whether they're do you still think that this is a team of ambition right now? Like, 
they don't have a lot to work with. They don't have a lot of picks. They don't have a lot that they can trade away, but um, they've got to build a team somehow. And when you trade away kind of your, your trademark player, um, I think people kind of raise their eyebrows and wonder if that's a team that's really, you know, going to be able to put itself in a position to compete in 2020. Well, I think they gave Daly a little allocation money, so I'm guessing they're building the attack around Daly at this point. And I think, I think they Hansen, have to, right? Hansen and Lasko. I mean, I think they've got some decent pieces. My issue with the Norton, because right now it's Norton and Amber Brooks, although I think Amber Brooks is a name that has at least been discussed with other teams. I feel like those are both pretty decent center backs, but I don't feel like you want either one of those two to be your center you know, like the alpha center back you want like i think you need somebody else better and one of them as opposed to the two of them together where one of the two is leading the back line that's just the way i look at it it could be too and then um they had they had the other uh is it price who was playing there at the end of the last season yeah yep yeah um, and i so, think that she's got a lot of potential i mean but isn't she a midfielder no she's a defender is she a defender by trade yeah um, and you could I, see Brooks pushed into the midfield, or as you mentioned, maybe moving on to. Yeah, because Brooks started out in this league. In fact, didn't Brooks go to center back because she was someone convinced her that that was the better best route to the national team? Well, she she broke in with the national team as a holding midfielder. Uh, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Because she was also already... a, what Houston needed at the time. Right. Well, yeah, that was the year that absolutely. I think they were playing her daily Mewis. And somebody else in the back. Oh, it was kind of wild. I'm also on the Jane Campbell is a bit overrated um, in the in that category. So I think I think they're going to give up a lot of goals. As the roster is constituted right now, I think they're going to give up a ton of goals. And they need huge years from Daly and Huerta. And what, didn't we all say Huerta was going to be the MVP last year? A lot of people thought that yes. for sure. And she was, she was uh, didn't happen. Did not happen. Anything we're missing? We've got. It uh, looks like the rain have hired their coach. Uh, that will be a pretty big talking point. Um, John, do you have the name offhand, off top of your head? Uh, ben Stiddy, uh Lost the first name. Let's see. I, I have it. I just don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Farid. Farid. Yeah, there we go. Um, and he's been around the women's game a lot. Coach Leon played for the Leon men. Uh, he's been in China. This will. There's a little bit of a controversial element here that'll blow up during the week, so we'll leave it and uh, we'll address it down the road uh, if we have to. Um, what else happened this week? What do we think of Harvey with the U20s? It's an interesting pick, considering that she never seemed to want to build her team through the youth <laughs> or through the draft. Totally, totally. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that uh, she seemed to have kind of stalled out or, I don't know, maybe even been mildly unhappy in Utah, um, looking for a new challenge or try something else. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, I think she probably, I don't know about needed, but I don't think it's a bad thing for her to maybe get a fresh perspective on things. I mean, I, again, four years in a row, no playoffs, all with Teams good enough to be there if things had broken right. I think she's yeah. got a little bit to prove. She's got qualifying for the World Cup comes up in what a month and a half, if that. So she's better be on her game. And 
before we leave this segment, John, in a quiet trade, the Red Stars and Rory Dames trade the nine pick to the rain. And what do you know? They get the rain's first round pick in 2021. So they're already sitting on three first round <laughs> picks in 2021. Yeah. Yeah, that's a smart move. That's a Rory move. He's been trading away picks for future picks because the, they've always thought that expansion. I mean, I remember talking with him <laughs> at the 2017 draft when they had made a bunch of two for one deals for 2018. That was his big, big day. Uh, he made a lot of really good trades that day. Yeah. And it was all because of the dra- the expansion draft was coming. Um, and then they acquired them all this year. I mean, what do they have four? Or they had at the beginning of the week four first round picks. They had five. Before the McCaskill trade. Okay. So that was, you know, again, stacking up for the expansion draft. So I think now we're again, well, we're getting at least one team next year, probably two. Um, let's stack up for 2021. Yeah, Rory Dames has been planning for expansion for pretty much his entire <laughs> tenure. He's always yeah. planning for expansion, just in case. Yeah. And, hey, he's the only coach left now that Harvey's gone. He's the only original coach left from the uh, original eight back in 2013. Well, and I mean, to go back to building from the draft, he's also someone who's done that, and he can afford to make these trades and prepare for expansion because he has already a solid roster. He's built a lot of it from the draft, has made some very good trades. Like, give him a lot of credit for having just the ability to be like, you know what, I don't need this this nine pick this year, but I might need these picks in the future to protect my roster. Like, that, that's a lot of foresight that some coaches don't have and some teams don't have – the uh, capability to do it because they need something more immediate. Can I add two things to that? One is that only um, one. Okay. Um, (laughs) The first is that I think this only works if the red stars develop talent the way that they do. You know, when you look at Naughton, I think Naughton was a number 19 pick, but she's local. She's somebody that, you know, Rory had known since, you know, she was playing as a kid in that in, in the Chicago area, he knew that he could develop her. And the fact that they developed her into a starter is what allows them to then trade her for a player like Ohio. And, you know, the one probably uh, off the top of my head, the one, the big, the shining example of that development right now is Sarah Gordon, who also was turned into a starter, you know, just got called into her first national team camp in December. Um, that's a player that, you know, nobody was really looking at back when she got drafted in, in 2016. And the second point is that, Chicago's stability in their front office, in their ownership and in their management, you know, with dames is what allows them to plan for the future in ways that other teams can't. Other teams got to take shots and they got to take shots now. And when they do that, they get taken advantage of because they've got to trade future value at a higher price than current value. And he's been able to take advantage of teams and he's done it for years because he knows that there's pressure on these other teams to win this year. And he doesn't have that pressure and he has a roster that is good enough to win. And I guess to your point earlier about Orlando getting the seven and 14 pick, and maybe I'm not super confident in how they'll handle it. When I see that when Dames made the trade with the rain, it was the nine pick. And I think he got the number 24 pick, which is midway through the third round. Mm-hmm. I'm probably as confident that he'll get somebody in that spot that will at least contribute in some way even as a practice player yeah then i am maybe that a team like orlando and i hope orlando proves me wrong but that they can you know strike gold with seven and 14 so that's you know i think you make great great point it's the fact that he develops players that allows him to keep these assets because otherwise they wouldn't be assets he wouldn't be able to make these moves well they got value out of the 39th pick out of 40 picks 
in yep. in 2017. So it 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 works. They make it work. And it goes right back to year one. They drafted Jen Hoy in the fourth round, and she's still in the league. Right. All right. Let's uh, put a wrap on segment two. We'll come back. We've got stat of the week. We'll do a little Q and A uh, and get uh, make some final preparations for the draft coming up on Thursday. This is episode ninety one of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. It's episode 91, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-evolving catalog of women's soccer statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And with the draft coming up and the number one pick having just moved, how about this is the third time now in the last five years that the number one pick in the draft has been traded. Ironically enough, that dates back to 2016 when Orlando came into the league as an expansion team, had the number one pick, traded it pretty much immediately to Portland in a package that got them Alex Morgan. And who did Portland pick with that number one pick? Chelsea, I know you remember this. I'm putting you on the spot. You might not even be sitting. You might not even be by your microphone. Emily Sonnet got I, picked by the yeah, Portland Thorns. Couldn't think back that quickly. And, and uh, to my fault, my fault. In 2016, ironically enough, Sonnet now going back to Orlando in the trade for the other um, number one pick. And the other time it happened was 2019, which was a fascinating one because when Utah came in the league as a not an expansion team, but as a sort of replacement. Fresh team for uh, uh, FC Kansas City. They were given the number one pick, not in 2018 when they started out, but 2019. So that was locked in, and they wound up trading it to the Red Stars in the trade for Kristen Press, and the Red Stars held on to it and took Tiern and Davidson. So those first two, Sonnet and Davidson, are uh, World Cup champion teammates, so we'll see what happens. It's widely expected that Sophia Smith will declare from Stanford to be that number one pick. Um, but we will see what happens. She has not declared yet, and I still, it bothers me to no end, guys. Why do they release the list of eligible players for the draft in dribs and drabs? Like, it just doesn't matter until the deadline comes. <laughs> and the deadline can't be the night before the draft either. I think I, you'd want, if you were like, if you weren't a, a, maybe a top-tier player, though, wouldn't you want to make sure that the pro coaches had had a chance to look at you or I like, look at your film. Yeah. I think they yeah. should have one, you know, just one cutoff and not be the night before and yeah, just do it all at once and then give, then you, you set it a week or two ahead of the draft and you have, you have, the coaches have all the time they need to look at those players. All right. Speaking of the draft, John, I think you have the info if anybody's in the area and wants to stop by. Yeah. If anybody's in Baltimore and wants to, uh, to watch the draft, it's Thursday at the Baltimore convention center at 11 AM Eastern time. And the room is called CC ballroom. All right. CC ballroom. And remember you do not need a uh, credential or anything. You don't need to sign up for the convention. Uh, just going to wander in and uh, take your seat. It's a pretty fun atmosphere, at least especially for the first round or two. All right. Let's do some uh, Q and a stuff. Um, let's see, Michael Phillips, this one's from last week that was a little bit late. Your thoughts on why Staub, Mace, and Bledsoe were not called up for this camp, meaning the Olympic qualifying camp? In my opinion, Staub could easily be defender Mace added 
Um, at defender, midfield forward, Bledsoe can replace any keeper, but Nayer, only person, Smith, or knew a lot of time to get them all integrated onto the team for the Olympic Games. Um, I don't know that there's that much time because you're also integrating the new system, but remember, there was the identification camp that Bledsoe was in, and I think Staub was in that too, right? So Blackco actually did get a look at these players. So, you know, it's not just on blind faith that he went with the players he had. I think we're going to have to give a year, though, before we can really start worrying about who's coming in and out of this roster. Yeah, I mean, they've already got to cut this thing from 23 down to 18. It's, it's tough enough without adding, you know, depth. And there still might be, a, you know, a player or two added in that wasn't at the World Cup. So that's yep, going to make it like, even tougher. Like I said, nobody did him any favors by retiring. And, the, you know, one player got pregnant and she's pushing to be on the roster. So. Right. Um, Caroline Slate is Erica Dumbach's position with U.S. Soccer temporary. Penn State and U.S. Soccer's releases say she is an assistant coach for January camp. I kind of feel like this is how most assistants get started. Like instead of making a big and it makes sense, I think, instead of making a huge commitment, bring them in for a camp. You know, that way, if it's a train wreck, you know, it's over and done with. And if it works out, then the option is there to sign. But as far as I know, uh, it's just for the January camp. Also speaks volumes about Vlako Andonovsky. Not only that he would bring in Laura, Katarvi uh, and Dombak were both at one time candidates for the U.S. job, but he's not afraid to bring them in as underlings after getting the job. So I think that's uh, I think that's a positive on Vlako's front. All right, XO Woso, our teams required to use a standard NWSL contract when signing players. Does signing a player have to indicate they have a roster spot versus supplemental? Um, I don't know if you have, John, if you have any more insight into this, um, but the bottom line is nobody tells us anything. We well, don't even tell us when allocation money is used yet. My understanding is the contracts are standard. And this, but the supplemental thing is kind that, of, yeah, that I don't know about that. I don't, I mean, signing a contract, I don't think guarantees you a roster spot. It would be nuts. No, it does not. All right. Rainmaster, who might uh, Rain FC be targeting with the number nine pick? I've got no idea on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that even though that's still the first round, that is a hard, hard call because we still don't know who's going to enter. And there's there's any number of players that could be, to be honest. I will tell you that we did uh, run a uh, Michael Minish did do a mock draft for us this week. And uh he actually wound up with uh, Courtney Peterson in the nine pick that he did a little uh, messing around with the nine pick, and the rain didn't even have it yet. So, But check that out. Um, that's part of the uh, Equalizer Extra at EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. All right, let's see what else uh, on that same question. How does this leaked coaching hire fit with the rain family as they always described it last year? Any word on who else interviewed? Um, all right, let's get – let's. Let's just – I don't know about who else interviewed. Let's just talk about this for a moment here. The, the coach that they hired, um, you know, you're going to hear stuff about Lindsey Horan when she played for him at PSG. I don't want to get – I don't want to comment too much on it myself without knowing more about it. You're going to hear a lot about this during the week. But let's face it, the Rain family, as they always described the last year, is gone. Lyon owns that team now. So Bill Predmore might still run the team. I understand Bill Predmore handled the coaching search for the most part. That doesn't mean that Bill Predmore didn't handle the coaching search, you know, with an, with an, an eye on who his boss is now. So 
Uh, you know, things with the rain are going to be different. Whether they're better, whether they're worse, we'll find out. But they're, it's not the same rain team that we had last year. In a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, you know, coaching, I mean, ownership. Yeah, anyone who thought that the OL group was just going to be a silent partner, I think, was being a little bit naive. Yeah. They, they were always going to come in and put their stamp on that, and that starts with the coaching hire. Yeah, there's no question about that. We do have um, some indication that they were that Rain were trying to be very ambitious with their coaching hire, um, and some other options didn't pan out. But uh, I do think that the Haran thing definitely is something that we're gonna, as you mentioned, we'll be looking at throughout this week. Um, one other thing that ties into this, I think, is the piece that we ran this week about the Rooney Rule and the fact that the league has said that teams are required to interview a diverse set of candidates, but it doesn't seem like that's happening in a lot of, uh, a lot of teams that some, some hiring managers aren't even aware that this rule exists. And it's interesting too, because it comes at a time where the NFL is actually under some uh, scrutiny, not for the Rooney rule itself, but for how the Rooney rule has been implemented. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, and I guess we didn't talk either about maybe the, I don't know about the biggest news of the week, but Amanda Duffy stepping down as president of the NWSL. I, maybe because her personality is not one that I feel like will be missed necessarily. But Well, I think the bigger news is that she's going to Orlando. And still overseeing the draft? Yes, that's the fact that she was not the day that was announced was not, you know, walked out the door is is baffling to me. That's any other organization in the world including the company i work for that is standard procedure if you're going to anything that sniffs near a competition or a conflict of interest well someone brought up bud selig which i think is valid he was the he owned the brewers and then became acting commissioner of baseball and stayed in that role for a couple of years before they made him the the actual owner but i think they, they didn't have anybody else right it would be like like Chelsea, if you left and went to competition, they're like, all right, you're out of here. And they're like, wait a minute, we've got nobody else that knows anything about what you do or who can do what you do, so you got to come back. Like, who would they? Who would be running the league if they told her to go out the door? Um, I'm gonna say this as diplomatically as possible. Is it really gonna make a difference? Ooh. To be, I mean, honestly, to be quite honest, we've been throwing accusations at the league front office for years now. And I don't think all of that inaction or, or appearance of inaction is Amanda Duffy's fault. Um, I think she, she was basically told to, to do a job that she, they didn't ever give her. And I think that that's, we could probably dig into that. I think, you know, you can make the argument they didn't do that to her predecessor, which was a man. And I think there's a lot to unpack there, but at the end of the day, some of that has to fall on her. She is, whether or not it was her, she is the figurehead of the league front office. So, you can't tell me there aren't other people out there that could be doing what, whatever it is that she, you know, signing off on trades or whatever it is that she does. I think you just set the parameter for an entirely fresh podcast. Whether well, you're she, welcome. You know, whether she had her hands tied or not, whether, you know, we should read into the fact that Plush, I mean, I don't know how Plush's hands were tied or not, but he had the, he had the role. Duffy, who was a woman, didn't have the role. There's an awful lot going on in that, in that statement. I mean, I don't think you can, I, I, there was a lot of Amanda Duffy love um, on my mentions and timeline. I don't think 
I don't personally think you can look back at her tenure, quote-unquote, running the league and say that it was a smashing success. I think some decent things happened, but I think hopefully they can find someone that can really run with this thing and take the league to the next era. Cause we, but I think it, you know, I think it goes both ways for whatever. I think you can say that the league is probably in a better place than it was when she came on. And it's just like for whatever failures, the same, same thing goes with successes. She gets some credit, but she doesn't get all of it. It goes both ways. But I do also want to point out that I actually think she's going to do really well in Orlando. Um, her reputation before she came in the league from Louisville was really strong which is also why it kind of was disappointing how her tenure with the league turned out, because I think we had high expectations. I just think that working for a team versus running an entire league just suits her better. And I think she was more of an operations person, which was what she came to the league to do, as opposed to administration. So I think, yeah, I think you might be right. It could definitely be a, a, a good thing in Orlando. I wonder, sometimes I get nervous, though, when teams have too many people in their front office. Like there are too many stepping stones from the top of the front office to the coaching staff, but we'll see. It's nice to actually have a team with a front office as opposed to. And it's a separate staff you know, from their men's side, which I think is what every team that has both sides should have. Right. And is it Ustruck now who's going to leave and not He's, really do pride stuff anymore and go back right, to Orlando exactly. City? I feel like it's how it kind of should be. Yeah. There's got to be an area where. Um, there has to be an area where it splits and, you know, obviously the owner is going to be the owner of both teams, but I think the splits need to be higher up than they tend to be. So, you know, from the men's side and the women's side. All right. Courtney, would you rather have to always sing instead of talk or skip instead of walk? (laughs) Anyone who asks me that question has never heard me sing. I was going to say it depends who's in the room with me, but I, I don't know. I, as a kid, I skipped all over the place. Sometimes when I'm home alone, I sing all the time, so I don't know. I would rather sing. I just don't think anyone else wants me to. Um, I'm definitely not skipping, though. I, I fall enough walking on flat feet. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> not putting momentum in there. All right. Uh, Coffee says, what control does the league have over the hiring of a coach with a questionable past? This is obviously another one about <laughs> Uh, the rain coaching hire, I, I think, like, they have all the control, but none of the control. Like, I think the league could tell somebody that they can't work in the league, but I don't think the league is overseeing the the process, nor should they be. Right? I mean, any different thoughts on that? I don't know if they could, like, I mean, you, you're, you're saying that they would have, like, a veto power? I don't know about veto power, but, I mean... Certainly they could, I don't know, could a coach be suspended or, you know, forbidden from working in the league for if there was something. And I'm not talking about like, I mean, it would have to be something very significant. But, yeah, I would think they might have veto power. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know either. It's 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 interesting, too, because, you know, we went through this a little bit last year with with Richie Burke. And we had the big discussion about some of the questionable stuff that came out of his past or at least the accusations. Um, it's out there, you know, this is, this is the world we live in, you know, your world, your, your life's going to get dissected. And if you did, if you did questionable things or controversial things or things that were just outright wrong, they're going to come back up. Absolutely. And that's, and that's fair. It's, you know, what he did needs to be asked about. We need to, you know, at least ask those questions and to whatever extent they're going to answer them. 
What I would like, though, is if we didn't jump to conclusions yet and assume that he was hired without it being brought up. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. We don't. We, I mean, the rain have to speak out on this, and we could probably get some more clarification from from Haran about what you know exactly happened. But um, it sounds like there was some inappropriate things that were said. All right, Dylan Crane. What was your favorite under the radar move for a team this week? Um, not, not that many things went under the radar, but I think the Red Stars are jumping, um, you know, already taking command of the 2021 draft is a pretty good one. Jay Lorch fan, if you could pick one attacking player and one defender from the current draft list, who would it be? Ooh. That's a good question. I like it. We have answers because I, 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 I always think, defer on my college answers. I think the best defender for me is Kaylee Real. Um, attacker. Well, it's hard because we don't yet know. Is Sophia Smith going to be in there? You know, um, since she's unknown, I'd probably go and say Allie Watt because she's high. You know, she she's going to be in there. And she's declared yet, but she will. Pending Sophia Smith's decision. Can, why have we stopped talking about Macario this week? Because she's going to somewhere. Is that? I thought that was Casanillos. Did Macario declare somewhere that or sign somewhere? Was, I, I thought she's been making indications for a while that she was going to go overseas. Hmm. And this is really totally wrong. This is really why the deadline should already have come and gone. Because at least you would know if she were declared for the draft here. But instead, it's Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Yeah, so and let's just say that the best attacking talent has yet to declare for the draft. Oh, That's there you fair. go. All right. Um, John Forsyth, uh, first round of the 2021 draft. Which teams have traded away their picks and which teams have multiple picks? Lucky for you, John, I happen to have that information right at my fingertips. Three teams have traded their picks for the Thorns, Rain, and Royals. And they have traded their picks to Sky Blue, the Red Stars, and the Red Stars. And uh, down draft, second round pick, the Red Stars and Dash have traded their picks to the Royals. Don't sleep on three second round picks. I know it's a long way away, and who knows how many first round picks there will be. But second round picks tend to make or break teams' fortunes. Uh, in this league. Um, and here we go. Old man soccer is the Reigns new coach a result of the new French ownership controlling the choice. Absolutely. Whether they made the choice or not. And surely a coach, uh, surely a parentheses woman, close parentheses coach familiar with American Woso culture would have been a better option. Um, I can't argue with that. Anybody? Seems pretty straightforward. Uh... Yeah, that that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, though. I don't know if you can just flat out say that, but they're also not wrong. Well, I, I mean, I haven't didn't hasn't MLS been around long enough and had enough coaches come in and flop? Although that trend is maybe changing a little bit now. But I mean, MLS teams used to bring in like high profile coach after high profile coach from overseas, and they'd be terrible. Well, you know what I was I, I wondered is that. One of the things that MLS, and I don't follow MLS closely enough anymore, but they used to always complain about the rules, about the idea of single entity, not understanding the draft, not understanding yep. why they couldn't just buy players. And that's what I wonder when you hire, you know, 
a foreign coach about whether they have a kind of a grasp of the American system, which is uniquely different than a European system or probably, I guess, anywhere else in the world. You know, whether it's an English coach or a French coach, this guy's coming into a totally different world. Absolutely. And in terms of the draft, if he just got hired or is getting hired, it's almost impossible to have a firm grasp on the draft. I mean, I doubt there are many, you know, women soccer coaches sitting in Europe studying NCAA tape. By the way, John, you said that you heard the rain were going high profile. Do you consider this a high profile hire? Uh, no. Um, I mean, he obviously has a high profile resume, but. I wonder how many people had to search his name on Wikipedia to figure out who he was, where he'd coached or what he'd accomplished. I did. (laughs) So, right. I mean, and listen, you're one of the, you (laughs) listen, I mean, you know, uh, and I've said this to you in private, Dan, like you have an encyclopedic memory. And if you don't know who this guy is, (laughs) then that tells you everything you need to know. And we we help break the story. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's like, and that's also coming after like, I remember the Haran interview. No, no yep. clue that did I ever remember the name of the coach. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And honestly, like this could have been something that they completely overlooked that they might not have even been aware of. Yeah, it's possible. But I'd like to at least hear it from them. Yeah, before we sure. Jump down there and throw and them that, listen, we never heard from again going back to last year. We never really heard. Remember the Washington Spirit said they were launching an investigation. Yeah. As far as I know, those results of that investigation were never, ever shared. Well, you know, I wrote my little lowdown that I do every year about ideas for the league. And I really feel strongly that ownership groups in this league should be mandated to have open interview availability one time a year. Yeah, so it's that. not a bad idea. So they can at least get asked a question, you yeah. know, and. Listen, the first couple of times that Burke got asked the question, he dodged it. He dodged it when when I asked him in Chicago. And then later on, I think a few weeks later, you know, he, he told Kim McCauley or he denied that he had done it to uh, to, to Kim. But um, these kind of questions, they need to be asked. They need to be answered. And the longer they sit out there unanswered, the worse these types of things get. And, and listen, to go back to what you said at the beginning, Dan, We don't know. By the time this pod comes out, these questions may have been answered. So, you know, it's probably a good idea that we don't get too far ahead of this. Yeah. And I also believe that if this league ever gets where it wants to get, which is a little bit bigger time and you get a little bit more in terms of full time journalists on this stuff, it's not going to you're not going to be able to sit on stuff like and it's going to be way worse. It's going to get way worse. Like the, the idea that they you know, we tend to kind of keep our powder dry when it comes to these stories a little bit um, in terms of maybe not fully expressing things. We tend to, I think, show a lot of caution and saying, well, let's get the full story. And I don't really feel like you're going to get that from, you know, more of a mainstream media presence. Yep, absolutely. All right, last one. GK Papa, who will the Thorns take at number one? We've gone over that. Who replaces Sonnet at center back? Is is it as simple as Mengus and Reynolds are your center backs, or is he going to, that's around with a three back because I'm not really sure, kind of similar to Sky Blue. I'm not really sure what their team looks like right now. I think you do uh, what Klingenberg, Mangas, Reynolds, Carpenter back line. I mean that's. I mean that would work. That's a good back line. Yeah, I just I don't know with those players who you would have if you went for a three back. I don't think either Klingenberg or Carpenter's is really suited for a three back system. 
they'd be wingbacks in that system. Yeah, so. which they've done kind of before. So, but again, you know what? A lot of lot more time. I, are we get you know allocation money is I think that's the uh, the elephant in the room right now. Are teams going to actually use allocation money and make a big signing? I'm not talking about Rachel Daly. Like, are we going to get a new shiny player in the league between now and early March? Yes. I say yes, but I don't think as many as we want. But I think yes. Happen. All right. Massively long final segment. So thanks to both of you for hopping on. I'll see you both in. Baltimore, and we will be back next week. Might come out a little bit early next week as we recap the 2020 NWSL draft. It's Thursday. If you're not there, check it out on YouTube and Facebook and check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to episode 91 of the Equalizer podcast.